Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. This podcast, 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness, is brought to you by our sponsor, SOS Rehydrate. It's an organic drink mix as effective as an IV drip. It's proven by science and used by elite athletes because only the best will do for elite athletic performance. So for all your hydration needs, our listeners today get 15% off if you enter the code mental toughness at i need sos.com this episode is brought to you by some sleep go to getsome.com that's g e t s o m.com we all deserve a better night's sleep you drink one can 30 minutes before bed and it's that simple this awesome blend lets you not only fall asleep fast but then wake up feeling absolutely refreshed, not hungover or foggy. You're going to absolutely love this product. And in fact, if you go to getsome.com and enter in the promo code Dr. Rob Bell, D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L, you get 10% off. Guarantee you're going to love this product. Go there right away. So our guest today on 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness, so she's a high school teacher and a swim coach. And as a swim coach, she touched many lives, um, and she's coached many at the at the national level and even Olympic Games in Rio. I was fortunate enough to hear her speak and her hinge moment. So she's uh, also an avid cyclist, and uh, and her goal is to ride coast to coast across the United States. So that's a total of over 3,700 miles. And uh, so she's ridden close to 5,000 miles as her training for this epic journey when her hinge moment had occurred. And after I introduced her, I'm going to let her pick that up. A very inspiring woman. I got to listen to her talk, and uh, it, it was just incredible. I'm literally looking forward to today's episode today. So our guest today is Danita Waters. Danita, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, absolutely. It's an honor. It's great to be here. So it's a May evening. And it's your last training ride before you're going to fly out west to begin your coast-to-coast journey. Can you go ahead and, and just pick us up from there? Oh, as a cyclist, it was one of those perfect evenings. Um, I remember it well. What I remember, I remember well. I had a slight tailwind. Um, I always loved listening to the birds sing. And um, they were singing that evening. And I had said my goodbyes um, to my athletes. And I was on my way home. 
my last run in Indiana before I was to fly to San Francisco in less than 24 hours. My gear, my main gear had already been shipped. It was there waiting on me. And um, I was riding the route that I had rode so many days prior. Um, I rode typically every single day to and from school. Um, rain, uh, 32 degrees, and ice on the roads was pretty much my cutoff um, so that I could train for something that I had wanted to do all my life. And um, that evening it changed, and I had what, what we define as the ultimate hinge. Um, I was hit from behind at 60 miles an hour um, by a pickup truck. And so, so this event that happens, um, I mean, we're going we're gonna to delve really into depth. So you were hit, and, and kind of lay that out for us of how that happened, because there was a road where you had somebody that was behind you that was following like they should, but then he passed, right? Yeah, as a cyclist, um, you want to believe that everybody's paying attention and that their eyes on the road. Yeah. And I had a gentleman who was a cyclist friend, cyclist angels, we call them, who was following me at that awesome distance. He, I, I knew he was behind me. Um, he knew I was in front of him. And the road was two-way traffic at the time where he was um, kindly pacing behind me. And the road was soon to change where we had two lanes heading out in the same direction to go under a bridge. And he was waiting to go around me until he had that safe pass. And I saw him to my left side um, and he was passing me. What I didn't know was that there was another car speeding up behind him, um, ready to pass him because she wasn't sure why he was going so slowly. And, of course, I was in the way and was hit um, because she was not eyes on the road. Yeah. Threw you in. How far did it throw you from? I was thrown 50 feet. Um, I don't remember from the point of impact. I remember a moment of this is going to hurt really bad in my mind. And then I was lights out. Um, So I've told my family, you know, had I actually died at that moment and and, um, not lived through this experience, I wouldn't have remembered anything and as far as pain in that ditch there are no memory there's no memory of an ambulance there's no memory of a helicopter ride um, that I got to take Um, I did speak though so there's some things that happened through the course of um, the the uh, rescue personnel coming to the scene um, that are pretty significant so I was hit and Uh, In a small local community, we have volunteer fire departments, Mm -hmm. and the volunteer firemen had been on a run to Kokomo, and where I was hit is about about halfway between my home and and the hospital where the hospital was, Um, and they were on their way back to the firehouse less than a minute from the scene of the accident when they received a call. The fire chief happened to be in the ambulance, and um, Brent knew immediately that it was me because he said I knew that was your writing schedule a lot of people in the community knew my writing schedule because they'd see me head to school and and you know if they were driving the roads they would see me heading home and I and I very very distinct and hard to miss because as a cyclist I believe it's my job and I'm responsible to help motorists see me so I always wear brightly colored vest um, I have blinking lights head to toe so that I'm visible and that evening was no different. I was very visible. I was in neon green um, that night. But Brent knew it was me. So he was able to get in touch with my husband. And my husband was actually able to physically lay eyes on me in the back of the ambulance um, before the helicopter. Um, they loaded me in the helicopter to fly me to the trauma center. Oh, wow. And, and so, so 
first really big, really big um, moment of how God orchestrated those rescue people. Um, and the folks that were first on the scene, they didn't move me. Right. They didn't touch me. I was a heap. Um, I understand my helmet was kind of twisted on my head. Um, my neck was broken. So had those folks tried to roll me, try to clear an airway, could have um, maybe met certain paralysis for me. Sure. So a lot of things happened absolutely perfectly. Yeah. That's amazing timing. I mean, God's timing for sure. I mean, so your neck was broken. Um, your pelvis was shattered. You had rods, screws, sutures just kind of holding your body together. When, um, and, and again, I mean, so when do you remember? When's the first memory that you actually have? Because people would come and see you. They, they'd say you were talking to them. And I, I get that. I've been in that situation too. You just don't remember it. Right. When, when? Um, I did. I spoke actually at the accident scene. I understand when they went to cut my my pants, my cycling pants off, um, I said, don't cut those. Those are $80 pants. Yeah. And then I said, this better not be very bad. I've got a ride across the United States starting tomorrow. And so then, you know, the, the ambulance instructor was like, well, maybe I don't need that helicopter. And then he said, you'd be lights out. So I spoke. I even rattled off my aunt's phone number, all of which I have no memory. I don't have any memory of yeah. speaking in that trauma emergency room. Um I think maybe some of the medication they give us um, mm. to help numb some of that pain maybe enhances, I don't know, our conversation. But I, I the first memory I have, um, true memory I have, was when they stood me up and, and they wanted to stand me physically upright and, and the pain of that moment um, because they had obviously operated and put all of those rods and screws that you speak of. Um, to put me back together. Skeletally, my right leg was really not skeletally attached to the body because the pelvis had been broken off at that hip joint and in, in other places as well. So I remember that very well. And I mean, throughout the recovery, throughout the many people that were visiting you, um, prayers answered, um, Talk a little bit about, like, what was that rehab process then like for you? Well, I'll start with um, when you're flown to a trauma center, you don't get to pick the medical staff that are going to care for you. Right. They send in numerous trauma teams. And my um, one of my trauma surgeons was a, is, a, is a three-time Olympian, world champion kayaker, a physical athlete. And so, first of all, God put him in my path because he understood being an athlete. And so the care that he took in putting me back together was incredible. Another trauma surgeon was a great man of great faith. And so this man, I could talk, like he would tell me, you're a miracle. This is truly a miracle, Danita, and your recovery is a miracle. And, and everything that the God's healing touch on is truly on your body. Um, those teams of doctors that God put in my path were, I say, um, truly God-designed, and, and they were sent by him to, to care for me in that difficult moment. Then we have a ton of church friends and family um, that kind of stepped in. A lot of times we say as we're working with children, it takes a village to get this child raised. Well, in this accident, in this trauma, it really took a village because my husband and I own a farm, um, a lot of care um, to take care of that farm. 
Um, and our church friends and family stepped into mowing to, we had a water leak, so they replaced pipes. Like we had just all kinds of things that they stepped up and became the hands and feet I saved Jesus uh, in that moment for us. Um, a lot of the swim community, a huge part of the swim community, um, stepped up, visited me, sent cards. Um, the kids, the kids were huge, a huge part of my recovery because I take so much energy um, from them and being around them, and uh, they motivate me. They encourage me. Do you or a loved one need a better night's sleep? Sleep is the most important component to our overall mental and physical health too often we just don't get a good night's sleep. The product that you need, without a doubt, is Psalm Sleep. What you do is you drink a can of Psalm Sleep 30 minutes before you want to fall asleep. You have a great night rest and then you wake up feeling refreshed, not foggy or hungover. I drink it all the time when I know I need an important night's sleep and I can't mess around with it at all. Listeners today, you get 15% off if you go to Get Psalm. That's G-E-T-S-O-M.com. And in the promo code, enter Dr. Rob Bell. That's D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L. You get 15% off. Everyone needs a better night's sleep. Go to GetSom.com. You know, the, the pain, you talked about the pain and the headaches. I mean, the, just that alone would keep you up at night. Um, I mean, when it comes to the athletic mindset that you have to have, that you approach towards recovery and your faith being a huge part of that. Can you delve into that a little bit more and unpack that? What What's that process like? Because here you had an event that you didn't want to have happen, but it happened. So, I mean, we the process about even coming to terms with it, because a lot of people would be in that negative mindset the whole time, right? I mean, here I'm training, I'm trying to do something great, and then this happens. Um, can you talk about just the mindset of recovery and then you know how the role that, that God and faith played in this? Of course. So the moment I realized, obviously, I'm not riding across the country, I, I had a choice. There was a huge choice I had to make. I could um, be sad and waller in that pity, um, or I could just, like I've always taken on life, I could dig in and um, make the most of what my new circumstances were. Um, but I'm not going to lie. It was hard. It was really probably the, it is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, there were days where the headaches were so bad, you know, and you were sick from the headaches, from the head injury, um, where the room was totally dark. My poor husband, room was totally dark. I couldn't stand shuffling on the floor. I, like they literally tiptoed around me because I couldn't, no light like total darkness and silence because the head just couldn't handle anything. And there were days where I was like, I said, I can't do this. I am done. I cannot do this. Um, and the soothing of my mother, the soothing love of my husband, um, the encouragement of my children. No, this is just a rough day. We're going to get over this bump in the road and tomorrow's better. But sometimes tomorrow would come and tomorrow was, you know, I couldn't even sleep. So I couldn't even get that rest. And so tomorrow would come and it would be, oh, it's still so bad. How am I going to do this? How many more days? I'd cry out to God, how many more days do I need to do this? Because this is really hard. There was not a pill. There was nothing that we could take to sometimes deaden the pain of that, the headache and the nausea from that um, 
head injury. And I, I knew it was going to be part of it. You know, we knew I, I had blood clots, so I was on a lot of medication to, in essence, keep me alive um, to make sure that those weren't threatening my life, which they were threat on a daily basis. Um, but there were some really dark days, not going to lie, um, where that, that mental toughness, I don't think I was very tough at all. But when we would come through that, I would have a new, okay, I just got through what I thought was the worst before that episode. Now that was worse than the last one. Okay, I got through that. Now we can handle we, we can handle this. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes in those really tough days, it was hard. It was really hard. And how about the, the power of prayer? Oh, truly, that is the only way I've survived. There's a huge community um, that had prayed for me, still prays for me, um, lifting me up 24-7. I had folks on the other side of the world. I would get um, calls on the Facebook from Ireland um, from a new friend that I have now. Um, Lady, I, it, God's laid you on my heart, and I think I need to pray for you right now. And so those were moments that would inspire um, pick you up, so to say, um, and they seem to always happen on some of the most difficult, challenging physical therapy days or headache days or um, days that were difficult. Yeah. And so what was it like when you were, when you could see progress being made and you know, the pain started to lessen and you started yeah. to get better? Well, I was probably a physical therapist biggest nightmare <laughs> because once I realized they, I learned to walk again in the water of all yep. places on a water treadmill. Um, and once I could take that because th- that movement just motivated me all the more. And I had this horrible walker because my hand, my thumb was kind of torn off. So I had a platform walker. I've got one hand up and one hand down. And, and I, I told them, I said, you know, I had all kinds of options. We can put a bathroom potty right next to your bedside so you don't have to walk. And I'm like, nope, I want to be forced to walk to the bathroom every time. So I kind of set some of those parameters, per se, mm-hmm. because I wanted to challenge myself. I knew it would be difficult. I couldn't lift my legs in and out of bed, so somebody always had to be there to help me. But once I started seeing that progress um, and being able to walk a little better, I got the hand out of this humongous, I called it my club hand, got it all unbandaged and I could use my left hand and I had a little better balance. Um, we went to a cane, a four, four point cane. That was a really big deal. Like these are things that you think, well, I'm not going to experience this time, 75, 80, 90, hopefully never in my life, but I'm using a cane and I'm, and I'm scooting along. My, my walk, my gait wasn't great, but I was always focused on every, every little aspect that my therapist would give me, you know, keep those toes straight in front of the other, don't let those toes turn out. So I would push myself. If they said, do two laps, I was gonna try to do four. And sometimes I overdid, and so then I had setbacks. Mm-hmm. So you take that athletic mindset into your recovery, I love that. Yeah, and I think that helps to be, you know, I was talking to my athletic director, Mr. Armstrong, his son is an athlete and was injured in collegiate baseball. And, and I really truly believe that being an athlete, being a coach, that foundation of goal setting um, and outcome is a huge um, benefit for those of us that unfortunately have had to go through things like this. 
in our life, but I believe that that foundation, and that all started for me in school, school athletics, mm-hmm. uh, learning those skills. Yeah. We had no idea it was going to be preparation for this moment, but that's when right. it pays off. Yeah. With, um, the, I, I guess the question I want to ask then, um, when you were rehabbing, were there other people uh, that had it worse than you? I'm just kind of wondering the environment that you're in. and. You um, know, that's a difficult question um, because I think our difficulty lies in how we perceive our injury, right, maybe. Right. And I never, I never thought I had it bad. I, you know, this is rough. This is a valley in life. This is a chapter in life that I didn't want to be writing. I, I was definitely the most. I was probably the youngest um, when I would when I went to physical therapy here in Kokomo away from home. When I graduated from home therapy, and my husband could get me safely in the vehicle, in and out of the vehicle, and I could transport. I was definitely the young one. And so I got a lot of attention because I was, you know, I had this neck brace and I had a pelvis that wouldn't really move because it had all this hardware. And and, and so I did get a little bit, a lot of attention because I was so young. What, what happened? Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know if I ever compared my injury to what I saw someone else going through. Okay. The reason why I ask is a lot of times um – individuals that are going through cancer treatments and they will see somebody that has it much worse and it gives them that perspective yeah you know because it always be worse oh um, oh absolutely I, I, oh my goodness i look at this accident and to look at me to watch me walk to lay eyes on me you would never know um what my body has been through um and it we could be talking on much different terms i could be wheelchair bound um I could have lots of paralysis, not doing what I love. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I ever compared, yeah. to be honest. Can you talk about, um, you know, one of the things that, that I think is interesting is when we have these hinge moments and this pain that we go through, um, we seem to not take things for granted anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's just our nature. We automatically take things for granted. I usually put ice in my water bottle early in the morning and I'm, I take that for granted. Right. But right. The, the ice is the reminder for me not to take anything for granted. But what, what sticks out to you in terms of like your perspective that has changed since that, since this has happened? Oh my goodness. You're absolutely right. We do like take for granted, um, the ability to drive, for instance, um, the ability to make decisions for myself, um, at that time, I couldn't make decisions for myself. Um, my family's life's changed. So, like when you think about when you think about what normal was, and like you said, we expect the ice in the water bottle. Um, my husband expected me to pull into the garage, you know, with that bicycle um, that evening, and that didn't happen. Um, the little, just the little things like feeding yourself, um, being able to be the motivator that I was, you know, the, the coach, just the little things in my life that were all of a sudden completely taken from me. Um, you realize, well, those were a bigger gift than maybe what you recognized. Um, teaching, being a mom, um, being a wife, those moments spent with, you know, our family um, were so much different for so many months for us. 
And then afterwards, did you have a, a renewed appreciation for those small things? Oh, my goodness gracious. Absolutely. Moments with the kids. Um, I, being an adventurous soul that I am, um, I have three adventurous children. And mm-hmm. uh, one travels the country, and so he's not always home. He works in the wind industry. And I have a daughter that's in the Coast Guard. And um, during the course of the accident, she was stationed in Key West, Florida. So she was away, away from home. And then literally um, the day after I was hit, my son was to leave for Idaho um, to work his seasonal job for the National Forest Service. So moments when my kids would be back around, like those were so special um, to have those kiddos by my side because, you know, they're normally gone and they're normally doing their thing, which is what we raise them to do, get their wings and, and, and go fly and um, live their life. But being able to have them by my side, um, after that accident, it's just before, you know, they got a visit for a week. That was great. You know, it was kind of nice for my husband and I when we had peace and quiet. Not anymore. Um, I, I love that noise, that noise in the home again when they're around. It's completely different. Yeah. So you met the lady who had struck you, who had hit you. Can you talk about that encounter and what that experience was like on both ends? Yeah, it, that is something I wanted. Um and I wanted that not for my closure, but I wanted to be able to help her um, because no one wakes up in the morning with the goal of hurting someone else. That's, that's not how we wake up in the morning. And she was the age of my daughter when um, she hit me. And I thought, you know, she remembers, she witnessed my body flying up on her hood, um, being thrown from her truck. I don't have memories of that. She does. And I thought, that pain, I want to ease her mind of that trauma, and I want her to live the rest of her life, because she's got a lot more life to live than I do, hopefully. And I, I want her to be okay, because I wanted her to know that I'm okay. I, I am not upset with her. I'm not angry. Uh, we have a lot we can learn from this, and we can both grow as, as human beings. And so sitting with her, I think, eased her mind tremendously. We still keep in touch. Um, on Facebook, um, social media, um, through texting. But, you know, she's a wonderful person. And and a lot of times in trauma, people don't think about the other side of the trauma, that there's, like, in an accident like this, there's somebody else that's been impacted uh, greatly. And I wanted her to be okay for the rest of her life. And so I update her with things that I'm doing because hopefully that will help her in her mindset and her frame of mind that, okay, she's going to be okay. So like when I summit at 14,000 feet, let her know. Um, I'm riding to and from school on a daily, almost on a daily basis or as much as I can. I, I want her to know I'm, I'm back doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because um, I, I mean, I, I love that piece in terms of especially forgiveness and but the connection is awesome. Um, would you... One of the interesting things, and this is what I want to ask, but would you have changed anything about what had happened to you? You know, I've been asked that. And I'm going to say I'm a better person because of this accident. I'm going to tell you I'm a better coach. I'm a better wife. I'm a better mom. Um, this has changed, obviously, um, those things that we take for granted. We don't do that anymore. Life is precious. 
So someone who's been in a traumatic accident, a lot of times, or a cancer survivor, we talk in terms of before the accident and we talk of terms of after the accident. Um, and I think that's important for us in our minds um, because I see myself as more patient, more accepting. Um, I'm definitely a little more determined. I was a pretty determined human being before, but I am a lot more determined, I guess I should say. Um, with goals, Mike, I am still very goal-oriented. And I, I wouldn't have changed that um, at all. I, I really, God had a reason for this. And I am where I am right now because of this accident. Had this accident not happened, I, things would have been much different for me, I believe. In, in terms of just your coaching, because you were a great coach to begin with, and you're still a great coach, but how has your coaching uh, changed? You know, I've always been a no excuses yeah. um, type of a coach, very goal-centered, goal-focused with my athletes, um, probably a little more patient um, with the kiddos than I was prior to the accident because you know I was always digging in and training myself and if there was something I would ask the kids to do I, I would tell them I'll, I would do it right alongside them for instance we do 10,000 yard practices in the holidays and I get in the pool and swim 10,000 yards with them they were whining they were complaining you know look guys I'm almost 50 if I can do this you can do this um, a little more, a little more patient now with them. It is, that was a challenge for me, but I think my mindset or my mental toughness of who I am as a person allowed me to always be able to dig right in. If I expected them to run two laps, you know, after practice, you know, to run, I'd get out there and run with them. Um, you know, now I kind of understand the discomfort maybe a little bit better um, than just the the push, push, push um, with the kids. I need you to unpack that and let's do the laundry on it because, you know, I hear that and that's like, yeah, no excuses. I mean, let's, you, you're doing it along with them. Um, just go a little bit deeper there. Like how did the patients, how has it made you a better coach and then relating to them and um, in that piece? I, I just don't take any of them for granted. They are not like when, when I go to write a meet sometimes, um, this is how we're going to win because this athlete has to do this and this athlete has to do this. I'm a little more transparent with the kids now um, as far as what it's going to take. Um, instead of just telling them that's my expectation, I will show them, um, give them more information per se than maybe what they had um, in the past. Could you give an you example, coach? Like, like stats. Um, yeah. So I'll do my part as a coach and research maybe the, the lady or the gentleman that they're about to race. And so that they know what that person does um, in the water. So that they know what their race needs to look like. Um, maybe that athlete's strong in the back half of their race. I need to know that information so that my athlete has that to be prepared. It's no different than scouting football or basketball and watching film. I need to understand the opponents that my athletes are racing. And, and in the past, I might just give them a time and throw it out there and say, well, you know, the person you're about to race, they just threw this down last week. What are you going to do? Let, no, let's define that race now. Okay, so what's it going to take for you to match that time? So I think my patience and my, my resolve, I, I, I retired while I was laying in that hospital bed. I turned in my resignation. I didn't think I'd ever be able to do this again. But I'm going to tell you, laying there in my mind, 
they were, how could I do this better? How could I be different? How could I get outside of that box um, and, and help these kids? Those, those things, those thoughts went through my head. They didn't stop. They didn't ever stop going through my head while I was laying in the hospital bed at home. And the accident, <clears throat> I, I just, you have to be patient because you can't rush. You can't rush the healing that I had to go through. And I can't rush where I want my kids to be at the end of the season. There's a, it's a process and I got to get those kids to trust that process and they've got to trust me. And so coming back last year, I think that trust factor was a huge part of that first season was getting these kids to, to go, yeah, she's tough, but we can trust her because the outcomes were there at the end of the season for our kids. Mm -hmm. I always say, I can't wait to be patient. <laughs> it, is, it is so hard. It is so hard. We want, we want it yesterday, right? Um, has your coaching style changed at all when athletes aren't uh, getting the outcomes then that they that they want at a time? Or? Um, I think this where I'm at now. I told you this this position here. Um, am I allowed to say where I'm at? Am I allowed to say that? You can edit this. Sure. <laughs> at Northwestern High School, I they embrace my uniqueness to the coaching um, side and allow me to be outside of that box. Um, and, and yes, I would say we have changed because I'm, I'm super, super supported here. And like we're even implementing a nutrition program uh, this season that I'm super excited about to get these athletes thinking even beyond what they're doing before and after um, a training session. Um, as far as the rigors in the water and the rigors on the land, because we do dry land training as well in the swim world, um, that hasn't really changed because that, that grind, that daily grind of what we've got to do to have those outcomes has to pretty much stay the same. I, I guess what I'm referring to is, you know, somebody has a goal for swimming 47 and they just haven't hit it. Um, have, has that changed at all in terms of the compassion or empathy? It, yeah, well, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, of course. And, and looking at the whole the whole athlete not just right. the swim side so what are we doing where's the stress levels of this athlete um what are we doing outside of the the pool the classroom at home the diet the rest um and just being super patient with them mm -hmm. because sometimes kids can put a lot of pressure on themselves to perform right. and i think sometimes if we just take we as coaches and moms and dads are real bad about putting pressure on their kids. But we as coaches, if we take that pressure off of them and we just let them know, just let's have fun with this. Sometimes if we get that fun piece back and we get those kids having a little fun with, you know, the situation or the race, um, that helps a ton. You're telling me sports can be fun? Oh, absolutely. All day long. <laughs> All day long. You know what? There are five pumpkins sitting down in my pool waiting for practice. We will do we will kick with pumpkins as soon as season starts. I love it. Yeah, we do, do all kinds of fun things. It is fun. So, um, Coach, we we know the life lessons that sport can provide, um, and especially the importance of coach with that. Because sport by itself doesn't really teach us anything. It's what you know coaches can provide, what our teammates can provide, and that what we're learning is going to apply to life. Like, I think we all know this, but a lot of coaches take it and be like, well, that's just an ancillary benefit of, you know, winning and results and rankings and statistics. But you take a different approach, don't you? You focus on, and how, 
how do you do that as a coach? How do we focus on the athlete as a whole person, um, not just their performance? Oh my goodness, life skills. That's that's what high school athletics are about. Um, and and I, you know, recently told my athletic director, I said, if you want me to remember my wins and losses, told my superintendent, then I'm not the girl to remember the wins and losses. I remember the experiences within those moments. And I want these kids the discipline that high school athletics forces us to have as far as being a student athlete is huge. These kids have to balance their studies. They've got to balance their training. They've got to balance their rest. And those life lessons, I truly believe, are what molded me as a young person into who I am today was because I was given those experiences and I had those coaches um, that helped me be disciplined, helped me make sure that school was first, uh, reminded me what nutrition and rest, how that played a part in what I'm doing. And it's such it's such a fun part of what I get to do um, with these kiddos. And, and, you know, teenagers can have a lot of challenges. There are a lot of hiccups when you're when you're a teenager and getting to be a part of those things that they think are the end alls um, and help them see the light at the end of the tunnel for whatever circumstance it might be, um, helps them deal with situations as they come up as an adult. Um, you know, I I need a new tire on my car. Now how am I going to pay for this? And, and not, not like blowing your mind and freaking out because you don't like, how do we handle this? Let's break these things down into baby steps. And I think um, as a coach, by helping our kids be goal oriented and goal centered, that's a huge step in helping them um, with those life skills, because mm-hmm. I'm super goal oriented still to this day, yeah. write them down, have them in my office, um, hanging in my bathroom right there. When I, you know, I see these things to remind myself still, um, as a, an adult, um, why I'm doing what I'm doing. If there's one message to share, like with parents that you've kind of experienced throughout, you know, even the last several years, mm-hmm. um, how would how what would advice would you give them? How would you help them out? You know what? For parents, just be be mom, be dad. Mm-hmm. Um, let coaches coach. Um, let us do what we're good at, and be mom and dad. Love on those kids. Be their biggest cheerleader because they need to see you in the stands. They need to see you cheering, not telling them what to do yeah. or how to do it. I think that's one of the things. Um, that, that parents sometimes misses. And, and I'll be honest, <clears throat> we want to live vicariously through our children. I had um, some three very successful athletes of my own, and it was very hard. And, and I failed at times at wanting to tell my kids how to do something better. Um, and that's a mistake that I made as, as a mom. And I think as a coach, you know, when I work with parents and we have parent meetings, and that's my encouragement is just love those kids love them, support them. If they've had a bad day, it's okay because there's another opportunity around the corner. Yeah. And so you still have a goal of riding coast to coast across the United States. How's, how's your, how's your journey going? I do. Um, and, and some people look at me and they think I have a death wish because I'm back on the road riding. I don't. A, a death wish. I've been just, I don't scolded numerous times, but it's it's the only only way to live. It's the only way to live. I have a life goal and I love the freedom the bike brings. 
um, getting in my Jeep to drive this week because we've had rainy, windy, cold weather um, is is not the way I like to come to school. It, it's just not the way I like to go because I, it's a new perspective when you're enjoying God's beauty in 360 degrees. I am right now writing again, trying to see what this body can do. Um, the hip is the biggest problem at this mm-hmm. point. So this spring, my plan is this spring and summer to do a couple of mountain passes in Colorado, um, just to ride up to 12,000 feet to get over a couple of those big passes that I know would be included on a cross-country ride. Who's your pass, you one can, of them? I'm sorry? So who's your pass, one of them? Um, I've rode. I've been over Hoosier Pass. Yeah. I did write that. I, that probably will not be on the list. That is okay. a definitely, that's a difficult technical pass to ride. Yeah, it's a big There one. are lots, lots of um, skipbacks on that, and it's very steep. Um, probably Monarch. Okay, yeah, I've been there. Monarch is, is a huge, I've, I've been over Monarch, um, and it's a gradual, and that is one of the passes, the, the biggest pass that we would we would traverse. Um, going ride ride the all the way, ride all the way to Gunnison? Uh, it just depends. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe. It's awesome. Typically stop. <clears throat> I typically start in Gunnison and then maybe go over the oh, other okay. side. I lived, um, I lived out there for a year. That's did why. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. It was oh, great. So you, you've probably cycled all these roads and I'll probably I didn't cycle do, back then. I didn't cycle back then. I was oh, maybe running and I'll probably do it. Red Hill, which um, gets me up and into fair play. Okay. Probably start in Jefferson on 285 and, and do that over spring break. Um, and that's, that's a very mild one just to see what the legs can do. Um, writing on the daily right now, I challenge myself with improving my mile per hour average on a daily basis. Um, that's, you know, with the wind, you say cheers ahead, you cheer the headwind. Some days I don't find myself cheering those headwinds this fall, but, but it's necessary. It's totally necessary. Right in the rain. Um, my husband gets pretty uptight when I do that now and sometimes will come and follow me home um, because he he knows a big fall could be uh, very detrimental at this sure. point. Yeah. So who scold, who would scold you over this ride? Oh, my gosh, there are so many people that I just meet that know that this was my life prior and they've seen me on the road and they're like, you're crazy. Why are you doing that? Well, I mean, I think – don't we have to be a little bit crazy to seize everything that life has to offer? I mean, of course, uh, I probably riding across the country in people's minds is, is a crazy yeah. adventure to, to undertake, you know, to, to take on. I just, I just want to experience this country. I love to travel. Yep. In fact, I was in California this summer and I was just in Maine, um, over fall break. So I've been coast to coast in the last, what, four months. Um, I love to travel, and I love to travel on the saddle of my bike because you're not—you don't have any. There are no boundaries. There's no thing, nothing um, confining what you can see and experience. You can—I say—you can see it, you can hear it, and some days you taste it. Um, what what you're when you're riding? Right, and I always say you can't Google an experience. Yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> yeah, so, that's so so true. But how good? <clears throat> I mean, how is it, how good is it going to feel now? having already gone through all the things that you've gone through, how good is that going to feel going, you know, accomplishing that? Even the journey itself. You know, I've really not thought about the emotion at this point. I'm trying to just keep myself, my emotions a little stifled. That's why I'm asking. Um, Because (laughs) I'm just, I'm not a hundred percent yet. 
um, that, that this is going to happen. Until I've done these mountain passes, until my legs are stronger through the winter, um, I just need to know what that hip feels like. Can it handle 60 to 80 miles a day? Um, this summer, you know, we'll put those, pack those miles on and see where we're at. I, I know what it takes. You know, I had almost 5,000, I had 4,950 miles on that saddle when I was hit in the 12 months leading up to that, that ride across. I know what it takes to do 100 miles. Um, I, I know you've experienced that. Um, your body doing that day in and day out is difficult. Um, and when you train for this, it, it takes a lot. Yeah. Well, Coach, I don't know the exact time frame on it, but I have no doubt in my mind that you're going to finish it. Yeah, I, when, I think it's going to happen. We're, we're certainly we're doing a lot of investigating right now. We're in oh, the yeah. process of it may look different. Um, I was going to ride with a friend, um, just she and I on the bikes, before it may be a guided tour. I may be with a group, so I know that there's a, wa- a wagon sure. um, behind me if I should need help, you know, just for peace of mind, um, for my husband's peace of mind, to know that I'm not out there um, on the road, just two girls. Right. That's awesome. Well, when you do finish, uh, I hope you'll be able to come back and then uh, elaborate more on your experience oh, riding across it. Oh, I get to share that story. Coach, my last question is this. Is there anything I should be asking that I'm not asking? Oh, my goodness. That's tough. No, I, I appreciate the time. Um, I, I think we all, in, in your book, No One Gets There Alone, I chewed that up. Um because where I am today, where I am today would not have happened without thousands of people in my corner and helping me to get where I am here today. I didn't do it by myself. And by all means, I give God all glory, honor, and praise um, for where I am today. And this is his story. This is truly his story because he has healed this body. I just get to be the means to share it and to move forward and to continue to share what work he's doing um, on my behalf. Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.